Trans-Tasman Tira Stoush. You can imagine my response. Level change rationale. It's not business as usual. And KiwiSaver Weapons Investments. What is so deeply unethical should be illegal. And welcome to One News Inside Parliament. It's our weekly catch-up where we discuss all of the political happenings around here at Parliament uh, for the One News team. I'm Mikey Sherman. I'm Jessica Much Mackay. I'm Benedict Collins. And as we do, we kick off our podcast with our highs and our lows, our peaks and our pits this week. Who would like to take it away? Should I start off on a positive note? The peak for me this week, I think, was that moment where the Prime Minister said Auckland is coming out of level three to level two, and it meant for a lot of people weddings could go ahead, uh, funerals could take place. Um, I know a friend's engagement party that could go ahead. So I think it was a big relief for a lot of people that they can get back to normal and a lot was riding on it. So it was nice to be able to deliver that news on, when was it? Wednesday. Wednesday. Gosh, it seems I think you're right. I think everyone was holding their breath just to see where that decision would land. Yeah. Um, Peak Benedict? Well, my peak is also... um, COVID vaccine related. Um, Simon Bridges got so excited when he um, with the news that the um, vaccines were coming that he said as soon as he got his chance to um, get his vaccine, he'd be pulling his pants down. Now that's going to be an awkward <laughs> awkward conversation with the vaccinator, isn't it? Oh, Mr. Bridges, uh, please put your uh, pants back up. Uh, this is going in your arm. So yeah, I quite enjoyed that. A bit of over over enthusiastic there from Mr. Bridges. Thank yes, you. thank you very much, Simon Bridges <laughs> uh, and Benedict for sharing that with us. That was great. Uh, my peak this week has to go to Chris Bishop who came out on top at the Privileges Committee uh, and was able to uh, repost, if you like, the uh, video uh, that was edited up by the National Party of Labour MP uh, Anna Lork. Uh, It was quite spectacular, wasn't it? She gave a a speech in the House. It was late at night after a few maiden speeches uh, and she delivered this very entertaining and interesting uh, discussion around uh, minerals, collagen. There was dear velvet mentioned. Take a listen to this and have a great laugh. I just want to take this opportunity to uh, talk about my great granddad. We talked about his years and his getting and talk to him about what is it that gives you such good skin and he says to me well I take three supplements I take deer velvet I take bee pollen and I take garlic Baraka's in the morning who's going to do a broccoli in the morning you need those supplements don't you So uh, that will keep us laughing all the way until uh, 2022, I am sure of it. Um, Also in the House this week, another Labour Minister, Jan Tanetti, also gave some interesting descriptors there in one of her answers to a uh, question in the House. It was in regards to the Keep It Real campaign, which the government poured $3 million into in terms of keeping people safe online during this COVID-19 period, given everyone was sort of in lockdown last year. Um, She mentions the word porn star. There's some rabbits in there. Take a listen to this clip. I'm pleased to inform the House that the initial campaign featuring porn stars, an online groomer, two imaginary rabbits and a young girl being bullied has reached over 68% of New Zealand parents and caregivers and was viewed 32 million times worldwide. Mr Speaker, I'm proud this government doesn't shy away from difficult topics and is doing what works for young people. 
even if some people of the boomer generation don't yet know what an eggplant means. And so that wraps up my peaks of the week. Yeah, and <laughs> even with some visual aids. Well done, yeah. Mikey Sherman. All right, now pits onto pits. Yeah, so Pitt... Um, Despite last week, um, us letting the Prime Minister's office know that we were breaking into programming twice last week, she arrived 10 minutes late to the press conference. Totally understandable for the Prime Minister of our country to be 10 or perhaps 11 minutes late. But that does leave quite a large gap of airtime, which um, yours truly um, needed to fill uh, twice last week. And so for anyone watching those briefings wondering why I was still talking, that was the reason why. Um, It's quite hard to fill that much Airtime. Um, I think at one point Simon Dello and I wanted to get onto, um, you know, what the weather was like and things like that. So <laughs> yeah. that was my. Um, although I have to say, secretly, it's actually really fun because it's kind of the fly by the seat of your pants television that I love. But it is a little bit of a challenge, yeah. and you know that people are sitting at home being like, "Why is she still talking?" <laughs> well, and also it's interesting, right? Because you get these press conferences like we had last Wednesday with the big announcement where you've got everyone tuning in. Is Auckland going to stay at level three? What happens to the rest of the country? But not only do they <coughs> turn up late, which you can understand. But then they give lengthy, lengthy, um, you know, discussions about what's going on with COVID. Both the Prime Minister and Ashley Bloomfield talk for a long time about case updates before they get to the bloody announcement. I mean, you know, it's kind of, you're sitting there, it must be the same for people at home. You know, you're sitting there like, come on, guys, get to the, you know, get to the gist, give us the, what we're all sitting here for. Yeah, sitting there saying, I've heard it all at Select Committee, and, uh, uh, Ashley. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, uh, yeah. yeah, so there you go. Um, my pit, do you have a pit? Do you there have you a go. specific pit? Because I do not. I'm going to roll into the first one, so. Do you have a pit? Are you good? No, you good? No, he's had you a good week. don't want free anyone? Free Brittany. <laughs> No, he no. doesn't want to know free. <laughs> Hashtag free we discussed Britney. this. That was an inside no, Apparently inside we're not allowed to go joke. there. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So moving on, guys. Um, the next uh, uh, topic, I guess, is the first topic of discussion. And, and maybe it is my, my pit. Or was it a peak? It was so good. And this was the um, ding, ding, ding fight between uh, Jacinda Ardern and Scott Morrison, Australian Prime Minister, over the issue of a New Zealand slash uh, former Australian citizen uh, and uh, who's been caught up with... Uh, ISIS uh, and got caught uh, trying to cross the border into Turkey from Syria. Uh, her name is Suhaira Aden, 25 years old. Uh, she left New Zealand uh, at six years old, went to Australia, lived in Melbourne, left Melbourne for Syria, married two Swedish men, had three children. Her middle child passed away from pneumonia. Anyway, she was caught at the border trying to cross into Turkey with two of her children. And now the big question is whose problem is she? Uh, and Jacinda Ardern came out onto the bridge run where we wait for her as the media. And, you know, we were expecting to ask her about it, but she opened up with this sort of huge fireball spray at Scott Morrison and Australia for basically passing the buck um, and saying that, look, when I first came into um, office, the Prime Minister said she was made aware of um, uh, these cases and she raised it with Scott Morrison and said, um, look, if these people ever resurface, because um, there's more than just one, um, then you know we should deal with it together. And um, she said in the press conference that uh, a year later she was informed that Scott Morrison had revoked the citizenship of this woman, meaning it is now New Zealand's problem. And I think I've never quite seen Jacinda Ardern 
come out so strong and so hard with so much rage. Um, and it was just a, it was a wonderful sight, to be honest, as a political reporter. We love it when they get fired up. And it was good. And it was like a trans-Tasman bout. And, um, yeah, I thought, I thought it was quite remarkable. Because she walks up to us we, you know, on a daily basis. And she walked up and... You, I, my first thought actually was, oh, something's very wrong with the COVID stuff. And then she just started talking about this and it was like, oh, she is really, really mad about this. And I think we've seen that kind of um, steeliness. I had seen her one other time in March 15 where she was really angry and, and holding it in and talk like that. But she very rarely takes that kind of tone and approach with things. And it was just really strong. And we had that. And then Scott Morrison um, had a press conference about an hour later in Australia. So we were able to get um, questions a question to her through um, our, some of our connections over there. And then the way that he dealt with it was so dismissive. So um, we're focusing on Australia and what's best for Australia and the tone that he took, he only took the one question on it and then turned and walked away. But it just, um, it was so frustrating looking at his tone and not recognising that he was a global leader, not even addressing the chance that, yep, sometimes you have to sell things to the public that they might not like, but that's part of being a leader. And it just was, it was really interesting watching those two things. But the, I, th I think the problem for New Zealand and for Jacinda Return is that they just don't care, right? Like Scott Morrison just comes out and says, yeah, I'm acting in the best interests of Australia. But, you know, and I don't think it's a yeah. very big issue sorry, for the public over sorry. there. I mean, they, they may well just agree with him, even though, you know, it's, it's, it's totally but problematic it's just not, dumping, but it, dumping, you know, but it's People not the been... right thing to do. And I don't want, you know, it, that that's not how we should operate and do things. No, but they, they don't care. Yeah. Sure, they don't care, but they might if other global leaders um, start, start, calling them out. Yeah. start calling them out and taking. And I just think that it's weak leadership. I just think that, um, yes, yeah, you can say they don't care and da da da, but it's just, it's not the way you should lead a country. You yeah. should play your part as a global citizen. Especially when they've lived in Australia for such a long time. Like, take ownership of your people, Guy. Like, you know, obviously they've been rad radicalised when they've been in Australia. And, you know, the comparison's also been made that, um, you know, when we had the March 15 terror attack here, um, that New Zealand didn't sort of deport that problem back to Australia, even though Tarrant is is an Australian and, uh, and, and was from there. And, um, you know, he now serves time in a New Zealand prison. Like, we could have totally deported that issue back to Aussie to the Aussies, but we didn't. The other thing with Scott Morrison that I thought was very interesting is over the weekend um, he was very much at the front of the queue for getting yes. the vaccination. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. I just thought, you know, we'd, we'd asked Jacinda Ardern, oh, you know, will you be the first to get vaccinated? And she said, no, no, I'll wait my turn because obviously people at the border need it more than I do. Um, I'm not a not a someone who needs it first. And then we see Scott Morrison being one of the first to get it. And I just thought, hmm, that's a little bit interesting with their takes on things. Yes, there's an argument to say that um, Scott Morrison getting an injection may help people feel more that's comfortable right. about yeah. getting a vaccine. I recognise that. But anti-vaxxers aren't going to care if Scott Morrison gets the jab or not. So I do kind of feel like it's just an interesting, different style of leadership. And I think it's an interesting question about when Jacinda Ardern does get vaccinated, right? Because I think having her there get vaccinated, if she did do it, you know, live in front of the cameras and the media and stuff, you know, it would send a big message out to the New Zealand public about, you know, the importance of getting vaccinated and how successful these vaccines are proving it, you know, stopping 
um, the spread of COVID around the world. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of interesting around that timing, right? Because you, you kind of want to get that message out first e- for early the enough. mass vaccinations, sure, yeah. but f- not first in this first batch that's oh, going the, to most border workers, yeah. Yeah. No. Border workers and first. also for their families. Like I just think that they're they're not risk. They're, they are going out and risking working in close proximity with people who have COVID nineteen, and then bringing it home. That must be such a stress. I mean, I don't know how you guys felt, but I felt that when in the lockdowns last year, I felt stressed about going out to work and then going home to your family. So those border workers have had to deal with that. You know, those essential workers and people in the hotels have had to deal with that the whole way through. Like I think it will be quite a but relief. much more risky, right? Because they've got people coming in. Yeah, with, with actual with, COVID. with yeah, actual yeah. reasons to be nervous, yeah. not just us who are going out to work at Parliament, During you know lockdowns. what I mean? Yeah. yeah. I just want to make a last um, point on the SCOMO versus Ardern bout, and I think it sort of picks on up on the point that Benedict made in that, you know, she's pretty much thrown down um, earlier this week, and Scott Morrison was pretty much like, hashtag sorry, not sorry. Um, <laughs> and, and I think we saw that too in terms of, you know, the, the rage that we saw from Ardern over the deportation of New Zealanders from Australia back here, which is sparked a lot of the sort of gang tensions now and we'll talk about that maybe a little bit later as well but I think you know two 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 times now we've seen Ardern get really angry Scott Morrison pretty much like meh sorry um, and I, I guess the question is at what point do does New Zealand need to take a sort of hard stance approach ourselves and at what point does the words need to turn do the words need to turn into action from Jacinda Ardern towards Australia otherwise it's going to look like a little bit of a broken record from her it's nice and it's fun when it happens and in the fire and we love it but at the end of the day when they kind of like give us the brush off I can't, you know, we don't want to be brushed off too many more times. But this megaphone <laughs> diplomacy is so interesting from a yeah, journalist's point of view. It'd be just good if we could have the sort of the knockout punch come come through afterwards and be like... But, but what what could we do? That's what and I mean, that's I, And that's I, I what I want them to be do. looking at and discussing. And I think, you know, it can't just be all words. At some point, we, we might need to socket to them a little bit stronger. And I ain't opposed to that. <laughs> Okay, Thanks, so okay. <laughs> we're warned, we're warned. Yeah. So the the big decision today, this week, the vaccines, sorry, the um, switching of the levels has dominated this week. So I got a call on Sunday, um, came out of um, my going to Te Papa and with my phone lighting up and got called into the press conference, one o'clock, surprise press conference. Then we knew through the day it was developing and then the Prime Minister called a seven o'clock press conference uh, to say that that Auckland was going into that level three lockdown. So that's been a big thing this week and it feels like it's, it's happened reasonably quickly. But I do think that there were some parts of the population that were surprised about coming out of Level 3 on Wednesday. And perhaps we need to reflect on that a little in the media, but I also think that the ministers and Dr Ashley Bloomfield need to reflect on that a bit too, that perhaps they didn't lay the communication there enough to say, look, even with new cases, as long as they're in in that group, we need to... No, because people coming out of Level 3 at midnight on Wednesday felt a little bit uneasy because they didn't 
they didn't get why that was important. And I think we got that messaging on Wednesday loud and clear, but I don't think we really had that as a viable option on Tuesday. And I think when lots of us saw at one o'clock those numbers coming through for the new cases in the community, we thought, oh, okay, well, there's definitely a bit more time for Auckland to stay in lockdown. So I, I think that's something that's a lesson, in my view, that's a lesson to learn for next time, that you have to make sure you're taking the public with you, and that goes for us in the media as well, informing the public of those nuances and those changes so that people aren't surprised because that's when you get that uneasy feeling in the community. Yeah, because we had the likes of um, even Horne Harawera texting you know, um, various reporters saying, um, look, we went into uh, Level 3 based on three community cases, and on the day that Jacinda Ardern announces that we're stepping down, we've got three new community cases. So what is the rationale behind that? So I think you're right in terms of there being sort of that um, miscommunication or just that confusion. It's not clear to the public um, what the what the rationale is is behind it because you know, like you said, three cases. Okay, we go into to level three. Another three cases the same day. You know, on the Wednesday, boom, we're, we're stepping down. So I, I guess what the government would say there though is that those three cases were connected to close contacts of the original three, so they weren't like unexpected ones popping up. Yeah, in, in, in new areas, so that would be their logic. I'm not sure though if this happens again that they'll rush up to put a city, especially let's say Auckland again, up into level three immediately. Because <clears throat> what you saw was pretty quickly they'd figured out they they had it contained, um, you know, and, and moved it back down to to level two within a few days. I wonder if they'll move in the future, just move you know a city up to Auckland, sorry, a city like Auckland up to level two, where they try to figure that out rather than shutting everything. Down and, and, Such and a then, risky. But, yeah, but then because yeah. the, we put that to Cinder Adrian, right? And she said, "Well, better to be safe than sorry, basically, yeah. right?" And that that's seventy two hours or whatever it was. It, it bought them time yeah. to do you know a lot more testing and do more contact tracing and figure out exactly what was going on. But I think you are right in that aspect that we were. I think you know they they were cautious and perhaps overly cautious some might say with this one but we get it and we understand it i just wonder if how many passes they have for future lockdowns do you know what i mean and i think that i'm not sure if they'll be able to take the audience with the or the public i should say not the audience the public with them next time if they if they act in that overly cautious way. I think they need to be overly cautious, though, especially in those first few days, especially when it's only just 72 hours, just to have that buffer, that time, especially when one of the cases is connected to a high school, a large high school, mm. and they also travelled out of town and visited numerous tourist attractions. I think you can't go any other way but to step up and sort of have that first few days as the sort of safety buffer zone. And I think, so I think I would hate to think that New Zealanders would become sort of immune to these lockdowns and, and get so sort of, I don't know, not arrogant, but just the fact that we're we're complacent. able to, yeah, complacent and that we're able to get control of these cases so quickly that they start thinking, why are the lockdowns necessary? I, I, that's, what I, that's the sense I'm getting, speaking to people. I don't know if you guys are getting that too. It, it is interesting though, right, because even though they went to level two, they did continue to have um, more restrictions around Papatoetoe um, High School. And I, I think they're... The school is back, uh, due to open again today, right yep. on, on on Monday. But they did, you know, have extra restrictions in around that school, so you can still bring in yeah. extra precautions mm. even at a lower level. But yeah, uh, on the on the other hand, you know, like a level two with extra precautions for, yeah. a, for, a for that particular, suburb, particular community. Yeah. Yeah. community. yeah, well, yeah. I did think one. I did think 
one thing that kind of got um, a lot of people didn't realise at last week's announcement was the move to make um, masks on public transport yes. compulsory around the rest of the country. I don't think that came up so early in the um, in the press conference. People didn't quite pick up on it. And I know catching the train like the next day, lots of people, I don't know, maybe 20% weren't wearing masks. And, but, Gradually, over the next day or two, and they had announcements on the train and stuff. You know, pretty much everyone was wearing masks. Were you this morning, and did they have masks on this morning? morning? There's, on a, there's one or two on my carriage. Who didn't right. On my bus this morning, it was 50-50 masks, non-masks. And I thought that Jacinda Ardern had said that she would give more guidance today on what would happen with the masks. Yes, yeah, so mm. they it was meant to be. And we, that's why we mask. did a live on that on the Thursday, because it felt like the message, I don't think we'd really got the message, therefore the public didn't really get the message. Um, and maybe that was something something that they, I guess on days like that when there's one decision, if they were needing, if they're making other changes, they really need to emphasise yeah. those other ones yeah. and make a, and, and inform people. Especially so that, if it's changed, it changes yeah. to what we've known previously with yeah. these levels, right? But it's also fascinating, right, because there's just zero enforcement yeah. on, on public transport of people, yeah. not wearing, people not wearing masks. They yeah. just don't do anything about it. Yeah. Yeah, and I I can sort of understand from the position of the drivers, you know, some people are quite adamant that they will well, not. Yeah, I don't think it should be the driver's, just, yeah. no, driver's job, right. but if, if you're going to make this the rule, then you need to, Yeah. you know, and people aren't going to follow it, then you need to have but some You can't even of, huff and puff with people if you've got a mask on. You can only roll your eyes and look at them accusingly <laughs> if they're not wearing a mask. But mm. then there are other, then you've got to be a little bit cautious because there are some people who have situations where they can't wear a mask. Yeah, um, that's right. And well, there might be a valid cover. reason. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So we had the um, level sort of big announcement on the Wednesday. Um, also huge this week was the vaccine rollout, which we've spoken a little bit about, but the fact that the government were able to sort of get the vaccines in a bit earlier. Um, interesting stuff. Yeah, it was. So we'd, the timetable schedule we'd always been aiming for was, was Saturday, the Saturday that's just been, and they said that's the day that uh, the rollout for, be, for the border workers and there's a lot of um, PR, public relations that goes around that as well with getting footage to cameras and stats, et cetera, et cetera. But then we found out that actually on the Friday, the vaccinators were getting vaccinated. I was very nervous about saying yeah, that yeah. line live on air, um, I have to say. but uh, You got there, eh? Got yeah. there, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so they were, so a hundred of the vaccinators had it first. And the, I think there's a couple of things that are important to remember, though, and I'd, I've mentioned this in live crosses at 6 o'clock and at 1 o'clock before, but it does take seven days for the vaccine to kick in, and then it takes... Um, you have to do it every two doses, three weeks apart, for it to be fully um, fully immunised or fully vaccinated. So it does have a little bit of effect, that first jab, but not properly until three weeks apart. So even though the vaccinators were getting that jab before they were giving it to the others, they're still vulnerable while the vaccine kicks in. And I just think it's important to kind of remember that because we do... I feel like we're all quite entrenched in this vaccine knowledge now and we have to make sure we're still um, giving people the context and things that they need around it. So it's still, even though the vaccines have, vaccination started on Saturday, it'll still be a number of weeks before they are protected from that. And then the flow on of obviously we have to wait for the second half of the year for the mass vaccinations. So that's from June, July. And, and that's when we're actually going to start noticing a difference. So When Simon Bridges can pull his pants down. Please, mm. Benedict. 
<laughs> you won't be allowed to contribute anymore. Oh, God, I hope he invites the media. Yeah. Mikey! <laughs> I just think it's been make for great television. Yeah. <laughs> Um, uh, also this week in terms of vaccines, I, I'm just trying to <laughs> pull us back on to the, to, to the other ticket, the right path. Um, I had interesting conversations with um, Minister Opito uh, William Seal, um, Pacific People's Minister, and also Dr Rawiri Jansen from um, the Māori COVID-19 uh, advisory group, if you like, or, or you know the experts in terms of Māori in that field, um, just about the hesitancy that we're seeing from some Māori and Pacifica um, people and um, and why that is. And they make sort of interesting points. And it was interesting even that the minister himself pointed it out, that when you have had a health system that hasn't delivered well for communities and minority communities in particular for so long, that they generally are a bit hesitant when, you know, you do have things like a new um, vaccine that's, that's coming out hard and fast. And so they do sort of need a bit more information and talking to, in, in particular, by their own people um, so that they can just sort of have that trust. And so we saw the minister have a, a meeting on Zoom earlier this week. He had um, over 500 um, leaders within the Pacific community um, all just talking about the vaccine and how they'll get the messages out to their communities. So that was great. And Minister um, Pini Henare also talking about the fact that we are going to have a targeted a Māori plan um, that they'll be rolling out shortly. So just some moves in those um, spaces in those communities to sort of allay any concerns or worry that they might have. Yeah, I think it was a really good tone to take and an important message to get across. It mm. was good. Shall we move on now just to our last um, last segment, talking about the KiwiSaver story? Do you want to walk us through that? Yeah, sure. So this is kind of a bit of a follow. So we talked um, quite a while on our last podcast about that Air New Zealand um, secretly doing work for the Saudi military. And just to start on that, so we had um, Greg Foran, they had to come up for their annual review, they'd come down to, get, come down to Parliament. And at that point, um, I think it was not last week, but the Thursday before, he was saying, oh, look, I just can't name all the, um, the, the, the other militaries that we're working with at the moment. So Air New Zealand put out a statement handily at 5.30-something p.m. on the Friday, revealing that they could in fact name the other militaries because they were currently working for them in Auckland um, and they were so they were doing work for Australia Canada Taiwan Turkey the US as well as that Saudi work as well so they, they revealed those other companies but that kind of um, generated a couple of other um, stories relating um, to the Saudi Saudi military and first of all it was revealed I think by Radio New Zealand that the Ministry of Foreign Affairs and Trade which issues export permits had done so several times to the Saudi military from New Zealand companies sending them um, military-related goods. This is during the um, war in Yemen, so that's you know <coughs> somewhat questionable. And then there was another story um, by Rob Stock on Stuff last week showing that actually <coughs> a lot of our Kiwi savers are investing in uh, weapons manufacturers, basically in the EU, uh, sorry, in the UK and the US, who you know give billions upon billions of dollars worth of weapons to the Saudis as well. And it turns out. Um, that includes the ANZ um, KiwiSaver, which both Jacinda Ardern and Chloe Swarbrick um, and many, many others um, are, are members of. And so ANZ immediately announced they were going to review what they were, um, the companies they were investing in, um, particularly these three weapons companies. Um, Chloe Swarbrick, she um, was horrified, said she had no idea, basically gave us an interview saying she'd immediately pulled out of the ANZ KiwiSaver and was going to find... <clears throat> 
you know, one that didn't invest in in, in weapons and such. Um, Jacinda Ardern, though, a, a bit more relaxed um, about her um, membership in this KiwiSaver program. Uh, we got a statement from her office saying that um, she was pleased that ANZ were reviewing it, basically. Mm. And I think lots of, mm. not just politicians, but lots of New Zealanders will be in that same boat and maybe prompting them to do a little bit more digging and, to, and trying to hold account those providers like ANZ to make sure that they're not linked in that and, and there's a great website that I found last week. We'll put in, we'll put in the um, web address because I just can't remember it off the top of my head. But you can put in your KiwiSaver, um, uh, put in your KiwiSaver, look it up, and it will tell you exactly what you're investing in. Why don't you um, tweet it and then people who are interested can go and yeah. look on your Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. So that was really handy. Basically, you can very quickly check at all the different kinds yeah. of things. Um, that your um, KiwiSaver provider invests in. I think Chloe Sawbrick makes a good point where she was like, oh, look, it's all very well for ANZ to be now reviewing its investments, but why are they even investing in those areas in the first place? Like, it just blows my mind, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and then and then people say, oh, you know, but most KiwiSavers invest in this through, like, passive investment funds and stuff like this. So, yeah, well, I don't know if the people in Yemen would be calling these um, companies passive. Yeah, and it's just not good enough, actually. Like, you can't just... But, pawn it off because it's, 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 a, it's a passive it, third yeah. you know, it, it, company. But it isn't easy for Kiwis to figure out what their own KiwiSaver providers are, you know, yeah, are which is why Which is why the KiwiSaver providers should be doing due diligence. Yeah. Hmm. Um, yeah, cool. All right, is that us, team? That's us. Wrapped up for another week inside Parliament. Uh, lovely to have you guys with us. Uh, make sure to tune in again later this week. We'll have uh, our next podcast episode up. Um, but, you know, this is our weekly catch-up about the political stories we've been covering. We're on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. It's available most weeks on One News Online. And check us out on your favourite podcasting app, Pay Cornita. Hey,